the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up, the latest on the rain and the flood danger and the damage. Also, riding for the disabled in New South Wales. They've just celebrated 50 years of supporting adults and children through their horse-based therapy programs. You, you never know, like a horse is a fight-or-flight animal, so there, there is like there's some horses that do not um, make, make it through. Basically, through training, they have to be able to just stand there tolerate different sounds, movement, say cerebral palsy or they would need a narrower horse working out a connection between the horse and rider in each individual centre. Riding for the Disabled in New South Wales, celebrating 50 years. More on that shortly and also the flood damage. You can always uh, send us a text 0467 922684 is the number to text me here at the Country Hour. The latest on the flooding information from the SES, uh, some of those warnings and from the bombers. Well, major flooding higher than April 1989 occurring at Gundagai today. Uh, major flooding possible at Wagga Wagga on Thursday morning. The SES has issued a prepare to evacuate uh, uh, issue in regards to predicted dangerous moderate flooding in North Wagga outside the levee and low-lying areas around North Wagga. Major flooding similar to the June 1952 flood is possible at Forbes from Friday. Major flooding is occurring at Condoblin and Uabalong and also Canoundra. The Murrumbidgee River at uh, Narandra may reach the flood major flood level of 8.2 metres early next week so that's just uh, some of the latest from the SES we're talking about the flooding and uh, as we've been hearing inland New South Wales communities are on high alert again today as water from overflowing dams and also that from that rainfall as well as making its way into already flooded river systems Forbes on the Lachlan River downstream of Wyangla Dam is anticipating flood water could rise to levels not seen in 70 years on Friday uh, several catchments saw 90 millimetres rain overnight Monday and into Tuesday. Tess Herbert uh, helps run a feedlot near Ugara and she joins us now. Good afternoon. Oh, hello, Michael. So I understand at the moment uh, you have lost some crops and a look, quite a lot of your river country is underwater and has been for quite some time. Um, yeah, we've probably lost about half of our canola crop along the river. Um, the water there came up again last night and and by the end of this week will come up quite a lot more. At this stage, not to the same level that it came to a year ago. We had quite a large flood there in November last year. Um, it's not as high as that yet, but that um, certainly hasn't peaked where we are on the Lachlan. Okay, but uh, that, that may be uh, heading down the river, heading down your way, it seems. And, and many people are saying that it seems like it's been wet for months now. Yeah, we feel like you you can possibly get two or three dry days in between the rainfall events. Um, it's almost weekly that we're getting rain. So uh, we've got river country and creek country and the flooding um, can be a little bit different in both, um, but we can have floods at similar times in both both um, parts of our farms. But you're not far from Yugara, so you're not isolated? No, um, Yugara was cut last night. Um, the Mandadjeri Creek flooded into town last night, but that's gone down this morning. Um, there were some businesses in town affected by that, and the road obviously through town was cut. Um, but that uh, road has reopened this morning. 
Right, and, but you have bog roads and uh, on the property, and also paddocks, and you you were a bit worried about uh, you know getting getting cattle in and out and feed in and out to the feedlot. Is that an issue? Um, our first um, response this morning was to get staff to work. Um, some staff brought a caravan over because they'll be trapped by the river flood. They won't be able to access work. We had some staff who were cut on the other side of the creek. Um, uh, but again, that creek flood is still high this morning and um, we've managed to get them across that as well. Um, and everyone who's been able to has come to work, which is great. Um, they all tried really hard, which is really good news for us to be able to run, keep running our business. Some had to walk um, across a paddock. Yeah, we had an old bridge that was still functional. Um, so they walked across and someone picked them up by car in, through one of the paddocks, yeah. Um, but they've made it work. Um, so we've congratulated them this morning for getting to work um, because it makes a huge difference in running the business that we can have staff here. Um, uh, our roads, we, we have very minimal access to the west or the south. Um, we can still get uh, trucks through to the east of us. Um, and we'll be able to manage getting cattle um, in and out and grain in and out as well. So you'll be able to do that. What about the neighbours? How are they faring? Um, neighbours along the river are obviously looking for that peak that will arrive later this week, um, the extra water that will coming, be coming down from Wyangla. Um, so we have lost looking... those crops on the, on the river banks, those river paddocks as well? Yeah, we have. And look, that's the reality of farming river country um, that you can have extraordinary seasons um, but that you need to be prepared for flood as well um, which has become very apparent particularly in the last year or so we've had a number of floods along the river. Mm. And uh, in talk, talking about the, the neighbours there uh, they, they've got a lot of cattle they're relying on cropping you know is it going to hit some harder than others? Um, depends what cropping they've put in. The mm. loosened country bounces back really well. Um, but, um, again, a number of our neighbours have put canola in as well, which, um, um, look, to an extent it survives some wet feet for a while, but um, the water levels that we've had, it probably won't do very well. And we're willing to, we should be looking at harvesting that canola now, but that won't be happening. Um, as it heads further west to Forbes and west of Forbes is when, you know, it can be really destructive once it spreads out in mm. the volumes that it will. And they're going to see flooding there they haven't seen since 1952, they reckon. Yeah, I think um, my daughter owns a house in Forbes and she's gone in sandbagging today because they're expecting it to get into places that they haven't seen before. Mm. Yeah. Well, good luck with that and uh, and all, all the, those others in that situation as well. Uh, and uh, but but uh, but your feedlot though it's high and dry. You've got it on a ridge. You've got how many cattle have you got there? And they they're going to be okay. They're going to be high and dry. They're feeding okay. Oh, absolutely. They're actually um, acclimatising really well to quite wet conditions. We've managed to get in on the dry days and clean their pens out for them. Um, they've got access to their feed and their water and they're surprisingly performing quite well under, you know, quite wet conditions. But we're still looking at, you know, two kilos a day on average. Um, so they're, they're doing quite well. And you've got about 6,000. Yeah, we're a little bit under those numbers due to the wet, but probably sitting at 5,800 at the moment. Yeah. Right, okay, so it sounds like you've got your hands full with the cattle and with the flood. Yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> stuff to do. Yeah. Okay, all right, I'll let you get back to it, uh, Tess, but all the best. Uh, thank you, Michael. Tess Herbert there, who uh, helps run a feedlot at Ugaura there. It's uh, 12 minutes past 12 here on the New South Wales Country Hour.
We're talking about the flooding, and uh, Jim Morgan is at Lockhart, and he says that canola losses in his district have been phenomenal. He says record rainfall this year, as well as the flooding, has seen good crops turn very bad indeed. He recently took to the skies to get a better assessment, and he says it's not a pretty sight as the water lay everywhere. Uh, quite alarming just uh, how much of the country uh, is uh, water affected, uh, not from floods, just from uh, cons- the constant rainfall. A lot of the, the canola is it flowered okay, but it's, um, it's uh, just wet too long and it's, um, well, it's virtually died, I suppose, is what you'd say. Um, root rot or um, that, it's all gone brown and then uh, how you know that it's so badly affected up the up another end of the paddock will be still nice and green or there might be some green patches here and there but um, it's a soil more of a soil type the heavier soils are very badly affected but even some of the lighter soils on the sides of the hills and that all the uh, soaks coming out of the hills is affected very bad so and we understand that some of the canola crops there were absolutely looking fantastic, like million-dollar crops. Oh, well, they, yeah, they got away to a good start, um, and uh, <clears throat> a lot of growers went quite early with the canola and uh, uh, threw the inputs at it because uh, canola, as you know, early on the year was an <clears throat> attractive price, but uh, be the dearest crop uh, ever grown by a long shot, and then um, to have it... Uh, <clears throat> go <clears throat> go out like this um, it'll be a big number at the end of the day uh, and there are still good canola crops because uh, from the air everything does look probably you know a little bit sort of worse um, from the air um, you get down on a closer inspection but if it looks bad from the air it usually is bad and mm. it's a bit like if you see something good from the air it is really good yeah there's a lot of canola um, even on the 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 good country um it's there's some crops have got out going down and they're stooped and quite you know badly tabled and in a mess and um it's, they're right on the point of um windrowing just can't get in the paddocks to do it so um yeah it's going to be quite a big unknown quantity at the other end because it hasn't stopped yet and you and you know this by flying around thousands and thousands of hectares in your plane on the weekend. Yeah, uh, we covered a big area. Um, From where to where? In, where did we go? Yeah. Oh well, in this southern area, we were uh, up towards a place called the Rock. Oh yeah. Uh, and then we went right out past uh, Urena and on the way to Jerildry. Um yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a sort of a square that way. Um, and you didn't see too many crops that were looking really good. Yeah, there's odd odd um, areas in those uh, real well drained red soils. Yeah, yeah, very very handy. Except some of them are getting in quite a quite a uh, sort of a weather affected um, uh, state, like lodging and that. If they eventually get in there to try and windrow them, uh, yeah. Uh, going to be very slow and difficult and you reckon you, you you're going to get a record this year in terms of rainfall you're already at uh, pretty close to the record now 950 millimeters yes yes uh where does year ever in my farming and what have i been doing at uh um i've been farming for what 56 years 
56 or 7 years, 1974. And that was fairly similar to this, only there was longer spells between rain events, but quite very big numbers. That year, Wagga Wagga, um, yeah, it, it flooded. Um, and uh, that, that year we got 975 millimetres here. So I think we're going to sail past that. Yeah, that's that's a prediction of with a wet November and wet December. So it looks like a rainfall record on the way. And the sort of the last thing you want is there much water lying around the ground and and that sort of thing, or is it maybe still in the in the river system? Oh, no, astronomical amounts of water out on the uh, flat country. Uh, a chap that was with me, he um, he had country uh, west of Boree Creek, and for a while he couldn't recognise his own property because I asked him what that lake over there was and he said, oh, yeah, I don't know, it must be in the neighbourhood and then he said, oh, hang on a minute, that's my place because mm. uh, he recognised a hay shed there and he said, oh, that was his place and uh, just amazing amounts of water and that was before this last amount of rain. We've been cut off from going to our uh, local town 12 times this year because of a creek crossing and that's that's 12 times i've never never ever had that before how much do you think you'll get in the bin then not much uh it's hard to look the wheat crops are still okay mm. um but it's got to take up and you've got to be able to get on the ground and um this just keeps on yeah the canola itself now i've got my my canola here should have been windrowed um just have to go in with the headers and try and direct head to canola so whether there could be could be huge losses yet jim morgan at lockhart there now where uh, he rang me today to say that he broke the rainfall record at his property with over seven no, over 975 millimeters for the year so far it's only november of course the previous record set in 1974 and uh, to put that in perspective he says that during the drought years uh, during the drought year of two, uh, 2019, they only measured 213 millimetres for the whole year during the drought there. 19 minutes past 12. Well, uh, here's a story that's uh, pretty amazing. Preparations are underway to rescue a 1,000 sheep west of Forbes with major flooding expected to hit the town from Friday, as we've been hearing, the worst flood since 1952, Warren Bailey's mob of ewes and lambs have become stranded due to the seepage from the swollen Lachlan River. He told Joanna Woodburn he's been working with local land services and the SES to get two helicopters tomorrow to winch them to safety. They're caught between the Lachlan River and a flood breakout. They've been in this paddock for about four months and we've unfortunately had them trapped down there because the breakout, which normally only runs maybe a couple of weeks a year, has been running full-time for the last three to four months. The Lachlan's basically been in flood the last six months, at least, I'd say. So we haven't been able to get them out, but they're protected by levee banks, which we're pretty sure that they'll hold. The issue being that we've had a lot of seepage come up underground, which has unfortunately filled the paddock up of water. What's the risk in the next day or so with the major flooding forecast to return to Forbes? The risk is, um, it's a bit of a twofold risk, we're definitely going to lose um, more ground to seepage. So the 100 hectare odd paddock's probably only down to three or four hectares now um, because of the seepage. 
Um, and we will get more seepage now as far as the river rising, putting more pressure on the banks, pushing water through the banks and up underground. But we are very concerned now that it's got to the stage um, it might actually breach the banks, especially considering these sheep have been camped up on the levee banks for the last probably three weeks because of the seepage. It's been the driest ground and bit um, concerned that the actual height of the banks has been worn down through a little bit of erosion through sheep tracks, tracking up and down the bank. What are you able to do to try and get these sheep off that ground to safer to higher country? In the last um, couple of weeks, we have managed to get some fodder drops across to keep them going, and we were hoping to walk them to safety, but yeah, those storms two days ago have put an end to that, and the current dam releases from Wyangla, so we in Talking and working with LLS and also SES, we're currently looking at having to get a helicopter in or two helicopters at this stage um, with a possible backup with a couple of boats if we could find them to, to shift them. Unfortunately, the helicopter will be quite a slow job, but we really haven't got a lot of choice at the moment. When do you expect that to happen? Yes, no, the helicopters um, are booked in for tomorrow. And how far will they have to take the sheep? Have you got higher country close and dry country close by? Yes, but they virtually only have to go 600 to a kilometre. We've basically basically got to clear the, um, the breakout, which is um, 120 metres wide in itself. But to get a bit of ground to set up some portable yards, we sort of just have to go back possibly another four or 500 metres, so... Under a kilometre. It's a fairly short lift. How will the ca- helicopters carry the sheep? They've got some portable cages they apparently um, carry underneath the helicopter. I haven't seen them operate. It's all new to me. I've never been in this position before. And, um, yeah, just hoping that we can have a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. Have they given you any indication on how many head could fit in each cage? I was talking this morning to a gentleman. He, he sort of thought, possibly um, 20 to 30 sheep. Um, these, these ewes have got lambs at foot, so the 30 would possibly be counting some lambs in in each load with the crate. And you mentioned you've managed to get some fodder drops to them. If they've ewes with, some, with lambs on them, how are their, how's their condition? They would be um, starting yet in the lower condition. They're still well and truly fit, and there's no problems with them um, not being able to handle this, this transport, this evacuation, but... Um, Obviously, I'm going to feel a lot better when I do get them back across and we can get the feed cart going properly on them and not just um, feeding hay. That's Forbes farmer Warren Bailey speaking there to Joanna Woodburn. It's coming up to 24 past 12. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. When New South Wales farmers has hit out at supermarket giant Coles after the company sent letters to farmers and suppliers rejecting their calls for price rises. Farmers are currently facing a series of compounding challenges from natural disasters to skyrocketing import costs that are hitting their bottom line. Vice President of New South Wales Farmers Rebecca Reardon says that the supermarket is being cheeky and rude by asking farmers to pass on the savings to the supermarket while also asking them to absorb increased input costs. Look, farmers are going through a really tough time at the moment and our costs, like everyone else, have gone through the roof. My production costs on my farm have actually doubled. So the farmers just don't have any margin there at the moment to actually give any price discounts um, any further. So it's really cheeky of Coles to come in saying, well, we're not going to give you a price increase because your costs have gone up, but 
if your costs go down, we expect you to give us a price discount. It's just an example of a company exercising their monopoly powers. Can you give me an idea of the kinds of extra costs that farmers have been incurring over the last few months? Oh, look, I can tell you now, um, the cost for myself to grow a crop, a broadacre crop, has doubled over the past year. So it's gone up over 100%. All my costs have gone up, whether it's fuel, fertiliser, chemicals, my insurance, my labour costs have all actually increased. And on my farm alone, my production costs to grow a broadacre crop have doubled in a year. So they're up over 100%. It's the most expensive crop we've ever grown. What happens if the prices stay as they are now without any increase? How would that affect farmers? Or how is that affecting farmers? We're seeing a huge increase in our farming costs and inputs, but we're not seeing our prices actually reflecting it. And we know consumers are paying more at the farm gate, but we're not seeing all of that increase and the increases in our prices are nowhere near matching the increase in our costs. On top of that, you've got a company like Coles, which is making over a billion dollars after tax a year, um, flexing its muscle and actually trying to um, screw the farmer who really has no margin left to give. And it's also at the moment, as we know, um, after coming out of drought, there's now a lot around the state are actually facing massive floods. It's just cheeky and it's just rude. Now, this letter that's been reported on by the media, the letter from Coles to farmers and suppliers, do you have any idea of how widespread it is and how many have been sent out? Yeah, look, we've had our farmers ringing in, but it's been been distributed, um, we understand, to most of Coles suppliers, basically. I think it's an example of, um, although the letter may not have much legal standing because it does depend what your contract is, it's an example of the supermarket basically flexing its muscles and just basically um, putting it back on the farmers who can't afford that um, rather than actually rolling up their own sleeves and doing something about it. All right, and New South Wales Farmers is now asking for you know, competition reform to address issues like this. Why is this a competition issue? Basically, we have a duopoly in that market um, and the farmers are really price takers at the end of the day. They're being dictated to on what they will actually get paid for their thing. It isn't necessarily related to what their cost of production is. And we've seen this in the milk, we've seen this in our vegetables um, and this letter just goes to their general attitude of how they're actually approaching farmers. No, we're not going to give you a higher price even though your costs are up, but we expect you to pass on all your cost discounts. Rebecca Reardon is the Vice President of New South Wales Farmers. She's speaking there to Hannah Joes and uh, Coles has been contacted for comment. Getting a text on that already, someone said they heard the news of that earlier on in the day about Coles bullying farmers and uh, Paul says uh, that he's told his wife to boycott Coles as a result. It's uh, 28 minutes uh, past 12. He used a bit of colourful language there in that text as well, which I won't repeat. Uh, Let's uh, turn our attention now to a pretty interesting story about Australia's first all-Indigenous wool harvesting team that's gearing up for its first national competition after facing world-class competitors in New Zealand last month. The Merino Shears in New Zealand was the young team's first time competing against much more experienced competitors. Samson Tuafata heads up the wool harvesting section at the uh, Dubbo-based Regional Enterprise Development Institute, and he says the all-Indigenous team uh, performed well in New Zealand and stood a good chance in the national competition in Bendigo, and they stand a good chance, rather, at the national competition in Bendigo next month. We're just so excited that 
were able to actually take them there in the first place and and the competition there were overwhelmed with having us there there's still there's still huge waves over there about our our time there yeah i heard um when you went there you know members of the audience burst into a spontaneous haka to welcome your team yes that's a that's for me that's a natural occurrence but for for most it just comes out of nowhere and and that's just the way it is in New Zealand especially in our Maori culture. Have you been trying to encourage more um indigenous shearers to come into the industry? Yeah, I think there's a natural occurrence there. Uh, our young ones out there mate, they're going to do it all for us. Now there's a pretty pronounced shearer shortage in the industry at the moment and you're trying to get more indigenous youth involved. Are you seeing that as a sort of opportunity? Absolutely we are. It's 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 the time is now to to encourage our youth with this is just a beginning and uh, I know they're out there and I know we need the help and of course you're known as a legend in the industry you've been steeped in it for decades what would you say makes a good shearer or wool handler pretty much it's all the little things that you've got to do pretty much you you're able to pick someone out with their natural abilities and this is where indigenous is really good they they have a natural ability to turn the hand to that physical work what do you think are the chances of uh, your teams going to the world championships in scotland um after bendigo yeah I, i think we have a good chance of getting there from out of uh, and the selections our our team members are pretty up there if i could say it like that Jolie Orchard is the youngest member of the all indigenous team at just 16 years old but shearing is in her blood. Yes, this was my um first time participating in an event. Um first time competing. I was very nervous and overwhelmed in the beginning. Um but as the days went on I got used to seeing the same faces every day and getting used to seeing how they work. How did you get into shearing? So shearing has been um in both sides of my family uh for generations. I started working in the sheds in uh 2020 when covid first hit. Um I was at school at the time and um I couldn't attend school. They had shut school for a few weeks because a few of the students um tested positive for covid. And um by the time school started back I'd already um had a full-time job uh wool handling in the shearing sheds around uh do you do you plan to stay doing it full-time? Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um I think I'll I'll be in the shearing industry for a while. And so you were in the the youth team. How did your team um do in the competition? Um we did good. Um almost everything was on point. Uh our po- our uh, time just slowed us down and and um a, a bit of the shears um let us down but um overall um stop bagging the shears <laughs> how long have you been doing wool handling i mean you're only you're only 16 uh, it mustn't have been very long a bit over 12 months i've been in the shearing industry has your team made it into the uh, bendigo comp now yes we have um all of us are competing again at bendigo and hopefully we all make it through to Scotland. <laughs> That's Jolly Orcher who's a wool handler based in Dubbo and uh, she was speaking there to Hannah Joes. You're listening to the Country Hour. 
28 minutes to one, and it's uh, time we'll go to the weather details. And I think there's been some update uh, on some of those warnings, but we'll give you some of those uh, details shortly. But before we do that, let's find out what's happening in the news headlines. Adam Story, good afternoon. Ever slept in a zoo? <laughs> Away from the lions. Or planning to. <laughs> oh, I know. I saw that. They managed to escape uh, their enclosure, which is incredible. Everyone's safe and well. It's and a six-foot fence. Have yeah, including that? the lions and the, um, Cub, the, pe- lion the family that was staying there for oh, the night. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're allowed to sleep there. Oh, that's apparently. right. Well, but the, it's all enclosed in the Yes, yeah, yes. Right. So yeah. according to what I have here, the uh, male adult lion and four cubs managed to escape the enclosure. But they were found in an adjacent fence area. However, um, yes, the uh, uh, zoo staff told the family to it's probably best to yeah head out, make their way to the entrance. <laughs> uh, anyway, zoo is uh, open as normal right. today. Okay, well that's good. Yes, that's and good. in fact, two of the clubs, uh, two of the two of the lines couldn't be bothered. They just stayed there. Stayed there. Just, nah, you to go do what you just want. Just chilling. Yeah. Um, in other animal news, there's a plan to rescue a thousand sheep uh, which have become stranded at Fords yeah, in the central you heard about west. That earlier, yeah. Yeah, because uh, uh, they got more major flooding there. Uh, they've been stranded on a paddock by a helicopter. Yeah, so that's a, that's a huge operation mm, out there. It is. Uh, the Federal Treasurer has again hinted at intervention uh, to bring down energy prices. Uh, he's been hinting at this for a few weeks now, but uh, he's now saying that uh, the situation is forcing the government to consider options that would be unpalatable mm. before the crisis. Uh, North Korea is reported to have conducted another weapons test after it again warned the US and South Korea over joint military drills. Uh, the South says Pyongyang launched three ballistic missiles uh, and an island east of South Korea's mainland was placed under an air raid warning. Uh, at least one missile reported to have landed in the sea. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has made yet another comeback. He's been elected, uh, well, he looks likely to be elected uh, Prime Minister again. Uh, official counting is in its early stages, but polls suggest he will be able to form government, but only with the support of uh, other parties in a clo- uh, coalition, including far-right nationalists. And Jair Bolsonaro has... Uh, well, has he, he has, has he conceded? Well, not really, um, but <laughs> uh, his comments do indicate that uh, he has just quietly accepted uh, the result. Uh, he said uh, he thanked his supporters and said, those protesting against the result were full of indignation and a sense of injustice, uh, but uh, he also didn't contest the result himself and said he would respect the Constitution, and then he left it up to his Chief of Staff to take to the podium and said the transition of power would now begin. Right. Okay. So he's he's a, agreed to the transition. But yeah. He's, uh, he's not, not saying he's he not lost, saying but he's, he's right. Yeah, he will. Just well, that's sort pack of his bag that's sort of go. Trump Trumpish, isn't it? Sort of. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of conceding <laughs> when you're not really conceding. Yeah, anyway. All right. Thanks for that. Okay. Okay. Well, you'll be watching those lines. With I'll interest. be just keeping them. You know, <laughs> Keep keeping an eye on the lines and the sheep. Yeah, yeah, so well, it's an animal, but sheep, yeah. animal-themed bulletin. Today. I think it could be today. Um, we're following on from the Melbourne Cup. Uh, yes, yes, that's right. And and the Hunter Valley uh, trained horse as well, winning. Yeah. So that was good. Mm. Good news for them. Yes, indeed. Did you? Right. Uh, did you? Make any coin yesterday? No, we um, actually we tipped it, didn't we? Because we played the story about Gold Trip, but uh, mm, no, 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 didn't 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 make the wager. No, mm. no oh well, yeah, that'll learn you. That'll learn you exactly. Yeah, good English there. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. It's coming up to uh, twenty four minutes to one here on the Country Hour.
Now, uh, just to give you the latest alert in regards to uh, an emergency that the SES has uh, just put out, it's directing people in the following areas to evacuate now due to dangerous moderate flooding. North Wagga, outside the levee, low-lying areas around North Wagga and Wilkes Park. You must evacuate now because your evacuation route may be cut off. Uh, you should evacuate to stay with family and friends or alternate accommodation in areas unaffected by floodings. If you're flooding, if you're unable to find accommodation, evacuation centres have been set up at the Wagga Wagga Showgrounds. They're opening. Uh, well, they opened uh, at uh, noon. Uh, that's uh, Urana Street, Turvey Park. Uh, evacuation centres have plans to manage the risk of COVID-19 transmissions. Also, they're saying don't hesitate to go to an evacuation centre if you have no safe alternative accommodation. If you remain in the area, you may become trapped without power, water and other essential services. It may be too dangerous for New South Wales SES to rescue you and buildings may not be able to withstand the impact of flood water. So the SES is directing people in the following areas to evacuate now. North Wagga outside the levee, low-lying areas around North Wagga and Wilkes Park. That's the latest from the SES. Let's uh, find out what the latest is from the Bureau now. Alenka Jumar is at the, at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. So the latest information there. So obviously floods, watching the flood situation, major flooding, particularly around the Murrumbidgee and the Lachlan at the moment, people watching watching them closely, obviously. Yeah, that's, uh, that's correct, Michael. Um, and we are expecting those rivers to rise uh, further over the next day or two, uh, in particular, as you mentioned, around the Wagga area, um, also uh, around Gundagai, where we have seen uh, the flood peak. Uh, currently, the flood waters uh, peaking above the um, April 1989 floods. They're expected to peak further during Thursday and Friday and um, also around Forbes where we are expecting major flooding, possibly uh, record-breaking flooding around Forbes on Friday uh, with uh, levels expected to exceed the 1952 floods or at least come very close to the 1952 floods. Mm, that's right, indeed. And uh, all of the damage it causes to uh, cropping and anything low-lying and uh, also... Uh, any livestock that are uh, near the near the river as well. So some concerns. They're already hearing about big stock losses or flood damage there too. And um, so watching the Murrumbidgee, watching the Lachlan, any rainfall expected in the next few days? Yeah, look, we are we have seen um, a lot of the rainfall, uh, at least the heavier, moderate to heavy falls uh, already passed. Uh, we can still expect the odd shower or two about, particularly about the southern ranges and southwest slopes and potentially some light showers through the central ranges uh, during, during today. And um, those showers will uh, continue about that region into f Thursday. Um, but by Friday, we are expecting a high pressure system to um, have established itself about inland uh, New South Wales. Uh, so expecting some coastal showers to develop, but uh, inland areas remaining dry um, during Friday, Saturday, and even into even into Sunday as well. Okay, so dry for the next few days, what generally throughout the state, or a few showers here and there? Yeah, look, mostly um, the showers are over the uh, today and tomorrow, mostly about those southwest slopes and southern ranges. Um, they will move more to the coastal districts uh, fri during Friday and over the weekend. Um, we might see the odd shower uh, redeveloping about the southern inland during Sunday and Monday, um, but really the next uh, 
rain-bearing system isn't expected um, until mid-next week uh, to affect the western inland. So um, sort of the second half of next week, we may start to see showers developing once again about inland areas, but certainly over the next uh, few days and into the weekend, um, expecting uh, drier conditions uh, than what we've seen over the last few days. Okay, well, that's a blessing. But of course, uh, most of the inland rivers are at major flooding or or thereabouts, um, aren't they at the moment? Yeah, that's Including right. those um, in the north too, they've been there for a while? Yeah, that is correct. Um, we have yeah, extensive major flood warnings uh, about most inland catchments at the moment. Um, we have had some reprieve about the far northwest inland uh, where uh, we've seen some of those warnings um, downgraded uh, this morning, um, c- including around the Damask River. Um, so we are seeing uh, a little bit of an easing uh, through the river systems in the n- northwest inland currently, um, but certainly about the uh, most of the other inland areas still expecting uh, those floodwaters to rise and peak um, in response to the rain that fell this week. Okay, Alinka, thanks for that. Thanks very much, Michael. It's uh, 19 minutes to one. ABC Radio, flood information. As I just mentioned before, the New South Wales SES is directing people in the following areas to evacuate now due to dangerous moderate flooding. That's North Wagga outside the levee, low-lying areas around North Wagga and Wilkes Park. And uh, also the SES is advising people in the following areas to prepare to evacuate due to predicted rising floodwaters causing major flooding. That's properties inside the North Wagga levee. So properties inside the North Wagga levee prepare to evacuate and also Gumley, Gumley as well and prepare to isolate for low-lying parts of East Wagga Wagga as well. There is an evacuation centre being set up at the Wagga Wagga showgrounds which is in Urana Street. Uh, so if you're unable to find accommodation, you can head to an evacuation centre, but they're recommending you prepare to stay with family or friends. So that's the latest uh, emergency information in regards to evacuate now and also prepare to evacuate for areas in and around Wagga. It's uh, coming up to uh, 18 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour and stay listening uh, this afternoon to ABC local radio for the latest information there. Well, a multinational mining and energy conference has commenced in Sydney today. The International Mining and Resources Conference will run through until Friday and brings together executives and innovators working in coal, ore, critical minerals and emerging extractive industries. ABC reporter Bridget Murphy joins us from the conference now. Good afternoon. Hey there, Michael. So it sounds like it's lunchtime there. It's a bit of yeah. up there in the background. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm trying to find a quiet spot, but it's proving pretty difficult. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. I can imagine mining is a hot topic at the moment. Mm. And uh, what sort of range of topics or issues are there on the agenda at the moment? Well, just about everything that affects the industry. But one of the key things that has really dominated um, the discussions on day one here in Sydney is new technologies and particularly artificial intelligence in the mining industry. So we've, I'm just looking in front of me at some, you know, they look 
look like diggers, but they're not really the same style of what we would see out in the pits at the moment. So we are seeing a lot of um, small-scale invention firms and innovator firms uh, showing off really what they're developing and how that could move into the mining industry in years to come. So that's been one of the main focuses here today on day one. Um, but we have also seen a range of other topics, including, you know, the big C word, climate change, uh, decarbonisation and transition as well. Yes, I was going to ask about that because are they mm. saying that conferences about mining lose a bit of relevance when we start talking about a green energy future? Well, it's actually been really surprising. Um, you know, kind of where I'm usually based in the Hunter Valley, the T word transition is something that we sort of, uh, you know, those in the mining industry in our region shy away from. But I'm actually looking at a gigantic sign over one of the, the halls here that says Energy Transition Theatre. And that's where all the discussions are happening this afternoon. Uh, really unpacking how the mining industry will play into that. Of course, you know, when we talk about the mining industry, we are talking about more than coal. I think that's something that a lot of people forget. There are also a lot of other critical minerals that are being discussed here at this conference. And um, there definitely hasn't been a shying away from discussing the role that coal mining in particular does play in carbon emissions. Uh, there was a keynote address a little earlier today from Helen Clark, the former Prime Minister of New Zealand. She's now the head of a global transparency board for extractive industries and she was talking about how, you know, basically the mining industry just needs to be really honest with the world about what it's doing uh, and also needs to take on that sort of feedback to change what it's doing so it can be part of a move to, to net zero whenever that date will come. Yes, indeed. And uh, what about mining communities in New South Wales? Are they being talked about at the conference a fair bit? Not as much as I was expecting. So, of course, we've got representatives of the really big miners um, here at the conference. Um, but from what I've kind of met, I've meandered about and introduced myself to a few people. And um, it's a lot of those, you know, the, the executives. We're not seeing a lot of people who are working on the ground you know, say in the Hunter Valley or maybe at some of our mines, you know, in, in the centre of the state or interstate even. Um, but we are seeing a lot of people talking about uh, the concept of um, mining jobs and the importance that this industry does play in a lot of communities, but also not shying away from the fact that sometimes the mining industry can be somewhat damaging to small communities as well. In the Hunter, last week we saw a coal mine expansion be refused on Indigenous heritage grounds. Uh, that was after a big campaign from a local Indigenous group, the Wanneroo people. So there has been a lot of reflection on that here today uh, and I'm sure that will continue through to Friday. What about protesters? Quite often these conferences see protesters. Have you seen any today? Well, it's been really interesting. I ducked out about half an hour ago expecting to see a big comp a big protest because we'd seen whispers of it online, um, but there was nothing. There was a good 50 to 100 police officers, but no one giving them grief. So we haven't seen anything yet. Um, there has been a lot of chatter, particularly with the group Blockade Australia, who we've heard from quite a bit targeting the mining industry. They said they would protest, and some people were actually um, approached by police, even in Melbourne, leading up to this event. Um, and they say that some of their members have had phones seized and things like that. So there sh would likely be some protest action coming in the, in the next few days, um, but nothing really substantial yet, Condo. OK, well, I'll let you get back to it because it's lunchtime, but remember, there's no <laughs> such thing as a free lunch, all right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> all right, Bridget Murphy there. Uh, thanks for that reporting from the uh, International Mining and Resources Conference. It's coming up to... 
uh, 13 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour. Now, for 50 years, riding for the disabled New South Wales has been supporting adults and children through their horse-based therapy programs. In 1972, Pearl Batchelor established RDA in New South Wales after being inspired by a similar program during a visit to the United Kingdom. The first centre was established in Kellyville in Sydney and now there are centres in regional areas across the state. Our reporter Georgia Vaughan caught up with RDA Chairperson Tracy Lucas to talk about the significance of this anniversary. On, on Thursday, just gone, the 27th, revealed our 50-year anniversary book. We attended Government House and Her Excellency hosted an um, afternoon tea for us and that got together 11 of our life members, which they range from in their mid-60s through to their mid-90s. Every discipline was represented as well, along with some selected riders. So let's talk about the horses. So the horses that are involved in this program, do they need to be especially trained or specifically trained to cater to people with disabilities? Yes, well, you, you never know, like a horse is a fight-or-flight animal, so there, there is like there's some horses that do not um, make, make it through, and it is a training program through each centre does it their own way and for however long it may take, but the horses, basically through training, they have to be able to just stand there, tolerate different sounds, movement. Someone that has, say, cerebral palsy or they would need a narrower horse. So it, it's really working out a connection p- between the horse and rider in each individual centre. And what sort of disabilities do you see come through the centres? Do they range from physical to intellectual, uh, young, old? It, it, it's both. It's, uh, I think our eldest rider is 92, I believe. She attended our celebration last week. But we can't determine what somebody's disability is. If you come along and it can be mental health, it can be physical, it can be intellectual. And yeah, no, nobody's turned away. In terms of the people that do come through the programs, what is sort of your favourite thing to see in terms of their growth and development? Their smiles and their independence because... You get to see from my favourite thing from my centre was a little boy who has a severe stutter. When he's on a horse, his stutter's gone. Um, to see that they come, they get on a horse, that they've, they've never done this before, but throughout the program, they gain that independence and that they can control a, a big animal. Michaela Worth is a participant who has benefited from RDA. So I was born with cerebral palsy. So that affects my my right side mostly, and I started RDA in 2001 as a therapy, um, and then I've worked my way up through the different levels to do coaching, administration type work, and things like that. And when you first heard about riding for the disabled and the services they offered, how did it make you feel? I think I was. Ex- Excited because RDA is something that I could do that not everybody else could do, as in the horse riding. Um, obviously, I guess conventional sports were a bit trickier for me. So, you know, being able to get on a horse and tell the horse to move forward um, and then later on in life be competing in horse riding, like it was just 
I was doing sport like everybody else. And Michaela, do you have to make any alterations to the saddle to make riding possible? Uh, So I'm a walk-only horse rider, meaning, you know, I'm safest and most comfortable at the walk pace. Uh, Equipment-wise, my saddle is normal, though I do use loop reins, so they have a loop in both sides to make the reins easier to hold so they don't slip through my hands. And you've been competing now, so what are some of your biggest achievements so far? Um, so so competition-wise, I compete in paradressage, which is dressage for people with a disability. Uh, so I first started doing that in 2009 uh, through RDA circles, which I still do. Um, and then I've since moved into para-equestrian, which is more open outside of RDA competition for riders with a disability. Oh, and do they get to state, national or even international levels? Um, there, there is all three of those levels. Um, I've competed mainly um, at an RDA state and national level um, and I have competed at state level for the para-equestrian side of things. When you started horse riding, did you ever think that you'd get to where you are now? Definitely not. It's been a, a fantastic experience and I, I've absolutely loved it. Um, you, don't, you don't sort of think, I guess, when you first start off that, oh, I could be doing that one day and when it happens, it's fantastic. That was Michaela Worth, a participant who's benefited from the Riding for the Disabled New South Wales, talking to a reporter, Georgia Vaughan. It's uh, coming up to six to one. ABC Radio, flood information. We'll just give you the latest on that. The New South Wales SES is directing people in the following areas to evacuate now due to dangerous moderate flooding. North Wagga, outside the levee, low-lying areas around North Wagga and Wilkes Park. There's an evacuation centre that's been set up, the Wagga Showgrounds. Uh, Also, the SES advising people in the following areas to prepare to evacuate due to those predicted rising floodwaters uh, outside, uh, causing major flooding. Properties inside the North Wagga Levee and Gumley Gumley as well. Prepare to isolate for low-lying areas of East Wagga Wagga. It's time for markets. Let's go to Casino Cattle. There was a 1,000 head yarded, that's up by 480. The increase in numbers was in both young cattle and cows. The yarding of young cattle consisted mainly of weaners with increased numbers of lightweights. We stock of weaners were active in the market, acquiring most of the young cattle. Competition was strong, with Restocker Wiener steers selling firm to 10 cents dearer. They sold from 620 to 900 cents. Restocker Wiener heifer sold firm to 20 cents dearer, depending on weight and breed. They ranged from 510 to 886 cents. Only a few yearling steers, and they topped at 630 to restock. There was insufficient numbers of grown steers and heifers for a reliable quote. Cows were 8 cents dearer. Three score medium weights every 379. Heavy cows saw from 385 to 404 cents. And restocker cows topped at 390 cents. Doug Robson at Casino. To Carcourt Sheep and Lambs now. Good afternoon. There was a decrease in land numbers to 1,992 and a mixed quality offering from mostly plain to good at CTLX. There were some well presented tray weight lambs, a few heavy lambs, and no extra 
heavy weights. Usual buyers that turn operate in a firm to slightly easier market, especially on the unfinished and lighter lambs. Restockers purchase light merino lambs from $22 to $70, old lambs from $66 to $90, and a few pens and new season lambs from mainly $146 to $156. Light trade weight new season lambs made to $136. Median trade weights sold from $176 to $177. The heavier trade weights made from $184 to $200. Costs generally varied from $780 to $820 cents a kilogram carcass weight. Lightweight old lambs made from $60 to $122. The median trade weights sold from $144 to $195. Heavier lambs made from $170 to $210 with costs varying from $750 to $780 cents a kilogram carcass weight. Hoggets of good quality sold from $130 to $146. Sheep supply dropped to $374. That was of mixed quality. Light sheep made $55 to $88. The medium mutton made from $83 to $112. Crossbred used with cover sold from $115 to $140. Merino used sold from $120 to $137. And a pen and dorset ram sold for $82. This has been Tim Delano reporting for CTLX. Let's go to Cowra Sheep and Lambs, Rob Pearce. Good afternoon, Michael. Lamb numbers fell by 1,300 for 2,950. Quality was good for the trade and heavy new seasons with mainly trades penned. Medium heavy trade new seasons were $2 dearer. 20 to 22 kilos sold from 165 to 182, 22 to 24, 183 to 199, averaging 8.20 cents. Heavy weights were 3 to 5 dearer, 24 to 26, 205 to 210, 26 plus 230 to 255, averaging 8 to 8.20. Stores sold from 84 to 149 and mutton numbers fell for a limited number of only 350. Medium weight first cross used sold to 191 to local restockers. And this has been Rob Pearce from MLA Atacara. Thanks, Rob. To Yash Sheep and Lambs. Good afternoon. The lamb numbers are back to only 3,470 with plenty of rain falling in the supply area. The quality was mixed. There was a few very good pens of new season lambs, some store lambs and secondary old lambs. The market sold to a dearer trend. The new season restocking lambs lifted 8 to 13, most 120 to 152. Trades 22 to 26 kilos were $3 dearer on average, 160 to 197 and average 780 to 840 cents. The heavyweights firm 193 to 226. Old trades to 24 kilos, 136 to 187, averaging 720 to 780. The heavyweights to 30 kilos, 184 to 200, with extra heavies reaching 205. The best of the hoggets reached 143. Mutton numbers were back to 900. The quality mixed. Prices lifted 6 to 8. Light use 88 to 94. The medium weights 95 to 135, with restockers paying to 141. And heavy crossbred used reached 171. And this has been Graham Richard. To Mossvale Cattle. Good afternoon, Michael. Numbers almost double for a total yarding of 659 fair to good quality cattle. Leaders returning the paddock made up over half the offering, along with some good runs of yearlings to suit the trade. There were some excellent grown heifers to suit the processors, and 94 mostly prime heavyweight cows. All the usual buyers were operating, cattle to process were cheaper, cows price unchanged, and young cattle to restockers much dearer. Yearling steers to suit the trade back 10, 470 to 572. Yearling heifers to process also cheaper, 490 to 555. The limited supply of feed to cattle sold at cheaper trends. Feed to steers 470 to 545. Heifers to feed 440 to 503. There was strong competition for young cattle from the restockers. Steers under 200 kilo reached 830 cents. Those over 200 kilos up to 35 dearer. 520 to 756. Young heifers sold from 475 to 686. Grown steers 408 to 490. Heavy grown heifers lifted 17. 428 to 466. 
Cows remain firm. The limber supply D2 cows average 3.53. Heavy three and four score cows 3.80 to 4.30. The best heavyweight bull topped at 368 cents per kilo. Dave Kent at Mossvale for MLA. You've been listening to the New South Wales Country Hour. It's uh, coming up to news time and one o'clock.